0: The mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is because of visiting forces known as kilesas that we suffer. It is because of visiting forces to the mind known as kilesas that we suffer. So when you reflect over the day's experiences and you recall the uh, distressing moments of the day, whether it's some frustration or disappointment, or sense of struggle or self-judgment, or a little fear, or anxiety, panic, whatever, whatever you experience as a form of suffering, whether it's a moment, uh, a minute, an hour, or kind of like the backdrop of your whole mental chatter. It is because of a force in the mind that's visiting. It's not who you are. It's not inherent. It's not necessary. It visits the mind, and when it does, it causes us to suffer. If we could believe that, and really take that in, we would want to know all we could about these forces, all these visitors we'd want to understand them, we'd want to uh, really identify them, we'd want to um, get a handle on them because, in effect, we would be learning how to uh, recognize uh, suffering, the causes of suffering and the end of suffering. And why is it necessary to do that? Because, as Sayadaw Tejaniya says, it is not you who removes the kilasis. Wisdom does that job. So, Sayadaw Tejaniya is saying directly that whatever you do to get rid of your fear, anxiety, depression, that's not it. You might temporarily put it aside. You might suppress the symptoms. But the roots of that reactive state of mind are still deeply embedded in the mind and so when conditions are ripe That visitor appears at the door of the mind and well you let them in Mm -hmm. Tajani is pointing to the practice of Vipassana, which is to observe in order to understand. And the correct understanding or the wise understanding will free the mind from these kalesis. So what are these kalesas? How do we see them? How do we recognize them? How do we work with them? That's what I want to speak about tonight. First of all, let's understand that they are uh, the habitual, reactive, mostly unconscious uh, habits of mind that have uh, taken over, have taken up residence in, in our mind. And they're usually in reaction to some experience or object of meditation, as we know them here but some experience that we don't see clearly. We either don't see, or we don't see and understand clearly. The interesting thing about all of them is that they are rooted in delusion, ignorance or delusion. I'll speak a little more about that in a minute. But they're also all fueled by restlessness. Now, restlessness in uh, the way it's used in this uh, formulation is the wandering mind. It's the mind that is wandering on and on, commenting and uh, about things in a pretty unconscious way. It's just that it's that stream of thought that just runs, just subvocally, just on the periphery of our attention all the time. Restlessness, rooted in delusion, often accompanied by attachment or aversion. Now when I say it's rooted in delusion, I want to distinguish between ignorance and delusion. Ignorance is not knowing. It's the experience when trying as best you can to be attentive to the present moment, the mind wanders off or the mind takes up a train of thought and when it does, you're not aware of it. You're not aware that you're thinking. You don't know what you're thinking about. You don't know if you're sitting, standing, walking. You don't know your gender, your sex, your age, your ethnicity. You don't know that you're a human being. You don't know if you're in a room with other people or alone. You don't know anything. Because your mind is entangled in a thought, a stream of thought, that you're not aware of, that's being, excuse me, that's being really ignorant. Ignorant of conditions, ignorant of what's going on. And we all have, anybody not experienced that today? Okay, so, when that kind of stream of thought is going on, it, you can see this just restless mind just chattering on about things that you don't know anything about and we may think oh it is harmless because hey I don't know about it it's just kinda of going on in the background but a very pernicious thing happens all of our wrong views and wrong understandings all of our uh, mistaken beliefs and assumptions about life that we have learned from unreliable sources are getting reaffirmed every moment of that stream of thought. We reaffirm our sense of ourself over and over and over again unconsciously. That's how dangerous it is. That's being ignorant. It takes remembering to recognize the present moment, mindfulness, to come out of that ignorance, to to put that ignorance aside, that visitor aside. And when we remember to recognize the present moment, we recognize, oh, thinking or commenting or whinging or whining or complaining or <laughs> whatever it is that we're doing, we recognize that. Immediately we come out of it and we become aware. The second kind of delusion or ignorance that we that's Sometimes is the root of um, these visitors to the mind is I'll call it delusion different than ignorance where we are present for the moment we see what's going on we hear what's going on we're present for it but we understand what we see wrongly we ascribe value and meaning to events that's not warranted, that's not justified. It's not just seeing the event, we ascribe some meaning or value to it that is, well, it's, it's a hallucination. It's a fantasy. We can see this quite clearly when aversion arises in the mind. Whatever you look at, whatever, whatever you see, or whatever the object of your attention is, when aversion has entered the mind, you can only see the unpleasant characters of it characteristic of it. That's the nature of a, the nature of aversion is to cause the mind to see only the unpleasant aspect of something. That's its nature. So we may see that person, we may see that car, we may see that whatever it is that we see, we see it, we know we're seeing. And yet we ascribe value to it wrongly because there's aversion, if there's aversion in the mind. On the other hand, if there's attachment or greed in the mind and it arises and we're looking through the lens of attachment to any object, all we see is the pleasant aspect of it. We can't see, We we can't understand that there is this unpleasant aspect to it. And so we're blinded, and we ascribe value and meaning to things because of that attachment that that object or that person, that event, doesn't warrant. So you can see how tricky, how dangerous these uh, the roots of these torments, of these visitors to the mind are. They're rooted in ignorance or delusion. They cause us to see only part of the, or to understand wrongly what it is we see. And they're fueled by unconscious rumination, we'll call it, restlessness of mind. The other thing about these visitors is they are so frequent. They arise in the mind so often and we've become so familiar with them That we don't even recognize them anymore we take them for granted we think they are who we really are how many times have you experienced uh, impatience Uh, i use impatience because that's my default setting in life impatience but in each moment of impatience it's just a moment it's a momentary visitor to the mind but it has happened so often and i haven't seen it so many times I can easily believe I'm always impatient. And once you kind of buy into that delusion, I'm always impatient, it's a real quick and slippery slope to, well, I'm an impatient person. And once we identify with a characteristic like that, it becomes a part of our personality and that mistaken belief is tremendously difficult to uproot. We have missed the momentariness of impatience hundreds of times. The belief is firmly rooted in the mind, my sense of myself. And to uproot that mistaken belief is going to take seeing impermanence an awful lot of times and not believing it's who and how I am. That's the task that we're facing with all of these visitors to the mind. But... or I should say another limitation of them is not only the momentary uh, misidentification or suffering that we experience with them. They, they prevent us from living life fully. For example, fear. Fear is a form of aversion. It's a kind of a pushing away of an unpleasant experience and when you do that you don't go there so when something looms in our life as a fearful experience whether it's going into the dark public speaking or uh, any other of the many things that we fear uh, we don't go there and we limit our options in life we we cut ourselves off from possibilities it takes a lot of courage It takes a lot of trial and error it takes a lot of encouragement to confront our fears and see that you know I I really want to (laughs) I want to I want to do some skydiving you know you're gonna have to get over a fear or you want to do some public speaking or you want to whatever it is you want to do in life even to aspire to awaken is a daunting task and we might think, oh, I don't know, I'm, geez, I'm afraid of how much pain I'm going to have to bear. I'm afraid of, I'm, af-. and we just don't do it because fear blocks us from living out the full potential of our life. And clearly, these obstacles, these visitors to the mind, hinder our our practice. They really impede our practice because. The time that we spend entangled in desire and aversion, uh, fear, frustration, disappointment, self-judgment, uh, ambition, striving, we're not practicing uh, effectively. And so we're just held back at, you know, at base one, and we just don't move forward in our practice. So these visitors to the mind are, while they're very familiar and they're very common and they're ubiquitous, you might say, and they become our personality, uh, they're really dangerous. However, they're not a mistake. They're not like uh, happening, you know, randomly or adventitiously or inappropriately or unnaturally. They are arising due to causes and conditions that give rise to them. And so they are a lawfully arising experience, therefore, it's the Dharma. These states of mind are also the Dharma, just like anything else we experience. It's the way things are due to causes and conditions. But because they are a natural phenomena that arises due to causes and conditions, they can be known. They can be known through mindfulness and they can be understood through wisdom. And this is to say that they are an object. They can become an object for our awareness and therefore an opportunity to awaken rather than an obstacle to awakening. So of all that I've said, don't miss this one. They are an opportunity to awaken. So often when we find ourselves practicing and you know, struggling with one of these visitors to the mind, we feel defeated, we feel depressed, we feel like uh, we judge our practice as not being very effective or we're not doing it right or, oh poor me, self-pity or something. And, and really we should remember this is an experience, this is an object to observe, to learn about and awaken with. There are three gradients of uh, torments, visitors to the mind. And I spoke briefly about them in response to a question the other morning. And I want to just review them again, that the, the grossest manifestation of the torments is when we don't know they're in the mind, we don't even know that they're unwholesome, and we act them out with reckless abandon, planting plenty of seeds of suffering and we don't even we don't know that they're dangerous we feel justified and we feel self-righteous and we don't have no we have no no second thoughts no regret and no remorse that's a strong motivation i mean the motivation the intention is just powerful and and in, in and in addition to that we might take a lot of joy and pleasure in it that really plants a powerful seed, doing something unwholesome that is pleasurable. Hard hard to uproot that one. So when we act out in this way, these kalesas or these torments, these defilements in the mind, cause harm to ourselves, clearly, and to others to whom we speak or with whom we act. Towards. So we can say that these transgressive defilements, the transgressive nature of defilements is to harm, cause harm to others. And the practice that the Buddha offered to get a handle on the, this level or this degree of transgression is the precepts. Purifying your speech and behavior. Purifying the intention before speaking or acting. Purifying it meaning paying attention to the motivation when about to speak or when about to act. And if there's some confusion or some desire or some attachment or some aversion in the mind, practice the training of not speaking, not acting in a way that causes harm. For the most part, you know, we can, we, can, we can see the wisdom of that and we can practice the grossest forms of harming, practice restraining or refraining from the grossest forms. <laughs> well, maybe both ways, actually. But nevertheless, practice restraining. But still, there's a lot of uh, subtlety in what we say, what we do, and knowing our motivation for acting is very difficult. It's often mixed. We, we want to do something good and it's not quite so benign as we might think. But still, it's the practice. But even if we can practice the uh, uh, being mindfully aware of the intention before purifying our speech and behavior, our mind can be filled with obsessively thinking about what we want to do and say, even though we're, you know... We got duct tape or duct tape over our mouth, and our hands are tied. Still, we can be thinking what we want to do, and that that obsessive thinking is suffering also for ourselves. The second training that the Buddha offered to address this level or this degree of torment is mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is remembering to recognize the present moment's experience, which means that when the mind is obsessing with attachment or aversion. We remember to recognize it. And as soon as we recognize this unwholesome, unskillful state of mind, the awareness of it is wholesome. Awareness of an unwholesome thing is a wholesome state of mind. So when we see anger has arisen in the mind and we we arrest it. We we arrest it momentarily with a moment of moment of mindful awareness it it just interrupts its momentum enough to and it's that arresting of the momentum that mind is the way that mindfulness um, overcomes the obsessing you might have to be pretty insistent with that awareness you know, just really I see you, Mara, I see you, aversion, I see you, desire, I see you, fear, I see you, I see you, I see you, okay, you know, like taming a little puppy, he says, I see you, <laughs> come back here, stay here, you know, so it is It is mindfulness that uh, addresses the obsessive nature of the torments. Nevertheless, it's hard to be ever-presently mindful. And so the Buddha offered a third training to address those hidden potentialities in the mind. You know, the potentiality is always there that we could erupt in anger or impatience or self-pity or depression. And so to, to kind of clean up the potentiality in the mind, the Buddha offered a third training in the Noble Eightfold Path, which is the practice of insight or vipassana. And what we do with that is that we, when, when any of these uh, visitors have arisen in the mind, we observe them, we pay attention to them. We, we observe them in order to understand them. Because we have invested some belief in them, some value in them, mistakenly. And only by looking and observing to, do we see them enough and clearly enough to begin to understand them accurately. And when we understand the nature of any of these, Forming states of mind when we understand their nature we are no longer vulnerable to being seduced by them we're no longer vulnerable to being overcome by them you know it's like standing at the door of the mind and saying I see you and I understand what your potential is you're not welcome it's not like they're in the house already you see them at the door before they arise and you know you know the value of them, you know the danger of them, you know the, the, the harm that they can, can and do cause you. And so by changing our understanding to work something through so that we, we see, oh, this isn't really what it appears to be. And we change our understanding of the conditions that allow it to arise. And in this way, we, we gradually, uh, um, eventually, uproot that potential from the mind. And when that potential, when that misunderstanding is uprooted from the mind, you don't have to be on guard for it. That mistaken belief isn't there anymore. That's how we free the mind from the potential to act out or to obsess on any of these uh, visitors to the mind. This is the path of practice that we're on. Okay. So, how do we do it? <laughs> you know, we've seen a lot today, I hope. Right? You've seen a lot of visitors to the mind today. Yeah, yeah. That's that's and, and you should understand that the whole path of practice is going to be identifying and working with these visitors to the mind. That's it. I mean, that's that's the whole path. What a what an oppressive thought that is. <laughs> but it's true because if there are no potential potentialities in the mind for any of these visitors to get through the door you're done no suffering no visitor no suffering go for it <laughs> okay so the first thing the first task I should say of um, working with these uh, visitors to the mind is to get some information and the kind of information I'm giving you tonight is the information you need to begin to recognize them. Because, you know, sometimes we don't, sometimes we feel justified in being angry. You know, self-righteous. I mean, we, we get angry, we get impatient, and we should be angry. We should be impatient. And I want that new something or other. And I should, I need that. You know, so we have a lot of, we have an infinite capacity to rationalize the value of unskillful things. Unkillful states of mind. So we need to hear this knowledge that these are dangerous. Self, self-pity, desire, revenge, uh, fear, jealousy, all of them. These are dangerous things. So we get this information. It is said that there are more than a thousand of these visitors to the mind. I only know several hundred. But nevertheless, that's enough to work with. But the, the, the challenge is to recognize them. And the challenge to recognize them is because they're so familiar. They've operated in the periphery of our minds for so long that we don't see them. We don't look at them. We act them out without without recognizing them. We obsess about them and, and wonder why we're upset. Because we don't recognize. So it takes this clear perception. Perception is taking notice of the unique characteristic of something. And if you, if you really grok it, you know, if you really get your finger on something, you know what it feels like, you know what its characteristic is, then you have a clear perception of it. Well, when any of these states of mind arise, well, we have to recognize it. We have to, we have to feel into, what, what, am, what am I feeling here? Now, one of the things that prevents us even asking ourselves to do that is we're caught in the story. You know, the restless mind that is just rolling on, whinging and whining about something is the narrative of our life. And we never we, we rarely think to kind of objectify the narrative of our life. We just believe it. Everything that our mind's telling us about our life is, is true. Until we say, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." what you're saying is, "I'm justified in being angry at this person, right?" Okay, anger is being known. Wow, as soon as, you can, as soon as you can identify what the narrative of your life is telling you, that's causing you so much misery, instead of being identified with that visitor to the mind, you can recognize it. You can name it. To name such an experience begins to take its power away. Because one of the conditions, I, you know, we talk about causes and conditions giving rise to experience, cause and effect. One of the conditions for the arising of all of these visitors is lack of awareness. So they can only live in your mind when you're not aware of them. As soon as you become aware of them, they vanish, or will soon vanish. Sometimes they got legs; they're pretty strong, and it takes a few, you know, really clear seeing them without, without aversion to them, without infatuation with it, without being confused by them, and just see, I see you. They can't last. They don't last. But that's the challenge. That's the challenge, to begin to recognize these very familiar uh, states of mind. Now, one of the uh, qualities of mind that accompanies every moment of mindful awareness is this mental state called ujukata. Now, ujukata means straightness of mind. It means the mind sees, it remembers to recognize, and it sees and it sees straight. It sees exactly what's going on. It's not, it's not deceived by what you believe about that or what you've been told about that or any mirage. Or any, it's like you see exactly it. That's why sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're practicing, like we are here on retreat, and these experiences from the past, you know, the personal history reviews scrolling by, and the personal history review goes by, and you remember things that you hadn't thought of in 10 years, 15, 20, 30 years, and suddenly you get it. It's like, oh my Jesus. That's what was going on then? I didn't, I didn't realize it then. I didn't realize it for the past 10 years, 15 years. Now I get it. That's what was going on. That's how I actually felt. That's what I actually you know what was going on in the mind and so sometimes when we recover memories like that we see them we feel them we know for the first time what was really going on because you know we weren't mindful then we spun a story about what was going on and it was a fantasy it was a delusion it was a you know something to help us get through that experience just kind of self soothing into well delusion now mindfulness is not diluted; it comes with this straightness of mind, and we see, we feel, we know, we recognize. This is this is the way it is, and with that we can then begin to recognize the, the, uh, the wholesomeness or the unwholesomeness of what we have done, or what has been done to us. Really important to understand that. when we have the uh, strength of mind to recognize uh, the truth of this moment's visitor, so to speak, we often feel um, angry, uh, ashamed, uh, defensive, uh, not me, uh, just, you know, it's so hard not to just accept. (coughs) Excuse me, this is the way it is. And so our tendency to react towards or in, against those visitors to the mind calls for the need to relax. So the first, the first step in working with them is to recognize them. And the second step is to relax. Relax your reaction when you discover that you're angry, that you're fearful, that you're wallowing in self-pity, that you're caught in jealousy or whatever it is that's going on. And just relax. You don't have to try to be defensive about it you don't have to protect yourself from it it's not it's not going to it's not going to kill you you know but if we don't relax we will be in reaction to it we'll be we'll be struggling with it we're trying to fix it we're trying to make it okay and nice and it's like drop it and when we relax we really are saying okay i am willing to experience this Sadhguru Tejaniya has a good tool for working with uh, recognition of these states of mind. He says, "The mind is not yours, but you're responsible for it." You know, these these visitors arrive in the mind due to causing and conditions outside of our immediate control. That means it's not, the mind's not ours to control. We don't control the mind. But once they have arisen in the mind, we are responsible to take care of them. We either entertain them and make them stronger, serve them tea and biscuits, or we say, wait a minute, I see you, Mara. So one of the, you know, the first step, recognize the familiar patterns and recognize when I say recognize them, I mean recognize the danger of these states of mind. Not to just kind of live with them like your constant companion. I'm depressed. I, I just I just stay depressed. You know, I'm fearful, I just stay fearful. I'm impatient. I'm always impatient. I'm an impatient person. That's not recognizing the momentariness of the experience. So to recognize and then to relax our reactive um, self-judgment about them. And then to use some intelligent reflection about them. Because we've, we've tried to point out that not all thinking is unskillful. You can read Saito's book. You can read about how to practice. You can read about why to practice. You can read about different ways of checking your attitudes of mind. All of those thoughts are skillful. They help you practice And when you're practicing, you may remember, oh, relax, recognize, relate to what's going on, check your attitude of mind. That kind of thinking supports your awareness. So not all thoughts are bad. Not all thoughts are something to be gotten rid of. So the next step in working with any of these uh, visitors to the mind is to exercise some restraint. Now, when we feel angry, and we've got the rational, logical explanation for why we should be angry, we have to use some intelligent thinking and say, wait a minute, no matter how logical and rational and justified I am in being angry, it's not skillful. Using our intelligence to exercise that restraint, to not act out these uh, visitors to the mind, So there's a couple of ways to do that. Sometimes we can just use a, you know, let it be, you know, hold up, whoop, stop, whatever it is. But sometimes we can, you know, when we are overwhelmed with or, or nearly overwhelmed with any of these visitors to the mind, open your eyes, see that that's not what's really going on, and start naming what you see. Just just connect with a present moment sense experience. Just do just to withdraw your mind from the torment of the overwhelming visitor. Sometimes, you know, and we're not not offering it as a technique in this retreat, but sometimes when aversion is really strong, you can practice loving kindness as a way of, whoa, let me just kind of exercise some restraint here. Or you can practice forgiveness when you're into the blame game. Just wait a minute you know, reflect on the value of a human life and not blaming someone. Or you can just, you know, avoid it. Go to a place in your mind, go to a place in your surrounding where you avoid the stimulation of that particular visitor. The fourth step in working with these uh, visitors to the mind, after we've recognized them, we've relaxed our reaction to them, We've exercised some restraint, we're not acting them out. It's to reframe your understanding or to reframe your misunderstanding. Because so often our assumption in practice is when I'm caught up in you know, fear, jealousy, or anger, or something, I've got to get rid of it. You know, First, I've got to get rid of this so I can practice meditation, you know, so, I, so my meditation will be better but that's a wrong understanding to reframe our understanding would be to say oh here's a visit here's this visitor to the mind this is the very place to practice awareness this is the very experience that I want to know because this is what's happening right now this is the moment to remember to recognize and so it takes that willingness it takes a courage it takes an understanding it takes this intelligence to remember that oh this is an opportunity to develop awareness and if understood correctly to free the mind from this visitor to the mind. Again Utejaniya says you know try to recognize that these visitors these defilements they're simply defilements they're not your defilement. Every time you identify yourself with them or reject them, you're only increasing their strength. Now, this is important. If you pretend they're not there, if you ignore the fact that you're really angry, or frustrated, disappointed, it gets worse, it gets stronger. That's like feeding it. The wandering mind is not your problem. You're off the hook. Okay. The wandering mind is not your problem, he says. Your attitude that it should not be wandering, that's the problem. <laughs> okay, The object is not really important, but how you observe it is. Thoughts are just thoughts. Feelings are just feelings. Yogis often make the mistake of expecting or hoping for a good experience rather than being willing and trying to work with the defilements. Now, you remember when you first saw the announcement of this retreat? Several months ago, or a week ago, or whenever you saw it, say, "Hey, you know, mindfulness of mind retreat with uh, Carol and Alexis and Steve and Franz." Yeah, I'd like to go there. You know, and you get this, you get this idea. Yeah, retreat. That'll be. That's good. I like to go on retreat. It's so nice at Spirit Rock, and you know, it's just kind of chill out for a while, and <laughs> shoot, good food too, and uh, just kind of open up and kind of loving, and everybody's nice, and yeah. I think I'll go. Wrong thinking. Really, we should be thinking, oh, a retreat, nine-day retreat. Yeah, mindfulness of mind. Yeah, I, I, I'm willing, I'm really interested to go battle with the defilements for a week. <laughs> I'm going to go look for all of those torments in the mind. Because that's what we're doing here. Right? So we have this um, kind of wrong understanding about practice, like it's somehow to avoid confronting all of these habits of mind that cause us to suffer when in fact that's the whole path of practice. That's not to say that there aren't some scenic turnouts on the route. You know, there are spiritual goodies, believe me. So, again, Sarutasaya says, as long as you are aware of these defilements, you're doing well. Reframe your mind, reframe your practice with that in mind. You know, all the time you spent being aware of all these tormented states of mind, Doing good. It's just the opposite of what we think, isn't it? Jeez, I spent all day wallowing in self pity, overwhelm grief, loss, fear. Yeah, jeez, terrible day. Actually, perfect, great. You're doing you're doing really well. Not what we think, is it? So we we have to reframe. We have to use our intelligence to reframe our experience with this information. The information is vital and using it intelligently is necessary in order to gain insight. Cuz if we can if we persist in thinking, I got to get rid of these, they're bad, I got to get rid of them. Well, it's true, they're bad, I got to get rid of them. But if you just push them away or deny them or avoid them, they only get stronger. Okay. So we've recognized them. We've relaxed our reaction to the towards them. We've reframed our understanding we've exercised some restraint the fifth fourth fifth fifth. the fifth step in working with them is to remember to recognize them to 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 actually observe them and to observe the mind it's not like we're looking at it with our eyes Instead, we're feeling it with our heart. So, what we're doing really is receiving the flavor of this state of mind. We receive it. You know, we, if we go out to get it, we, we go out in thought. You know, where, where are you going to go to reach your anger or to reach your fear? It's actually, we come in, we, we, we receive it in our heart so that we are open we're willing we're allowing we're receptive to what it feels like so the, the work is to train the mind to receive the flavor of these states of mind why is that so difficult because they're all unpleasant fear is unpleasant shame is unpleasant Anger is really unpleasant. Jealousy is unpleasant. Envy is unpleasant. It's really unpleasant. We think, yeah, but desire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you get desire, you get inflamed with desire. Woohoo! hoo hoo As long as you're hanging on to the object, the object of desire is pleasant. But the feeling of desire is unpleasant. And so we naturally, our conditioning, is to avoid unpleasantness. Or get away from it, to turn away from it. And practice is to welcome this experience, to receive it. And So we have to be willing to bear with the unpleasantness, with awareness, not out of resentment or resistance. That's not going to work. But to willingly and know, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going to I'm gonna allow myself to feel what this feels like. And it's unpleasant. Now, don't get overwhelmed yet use the appearance of the defilements as an opportunity to investigate their nature they are natural phenomena they're not your defilement everyone experiences them okay so when we when we open to 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 receive you know kind of some emotional storm some anger fear whatever it is or attachment desire longing <laughs> grieving whatever it is when we are caught up in it it's the story of my life. I want, I need, I hurt, I, I, I. And when we observe, we receive it, and we we can, if we can remember that this is a natural phenomenon arising due to causes and conditions, we can recognize that anger is being known. Fear is being known. And just to name it like that, really... Takes us out, not doesn't take us out of the picture, we're there, but we're not identified with it. We can see it for what it really is. It's this experience, this unpleasant experience, there's a lot of thoughts rolling around, there's this unpleasant feeling in the heart. And we can observe it. We can observe it, meaning we can feel it for as long as it lasts. Now, the sixth step in working with these um torments of the mind is to have this insight is to to realize something that you cannot get by thinking so you've you you've opened your heart you're allowing in this this really unpleasant experience and you're willing to be there you know for as long as it takes and you're just... You're just there. You're just holding the space to let this natural phenomena be there. No resistance. You're not explaining it. You're not trying to get rid of it. You're not judging yourself for it. It's just there. What do you realize? (coughs) You realize it doesn't last very long. It's there. You're observing it with full awareness. When there's no resistance to it, and you're observing it with full awareness, it doesn't last. It's impermanent. You didn't do anything to get rid of it. You didn't push it away. You didn't spin yourself a fantasy that it's other than it really is. You actually allowed it to live out its life due to its causes and conditions. And when they came to an end, you saw them end. This is a new way of dealing with desire. Most desires, we've got to satisfy or be forever frustrated. Now you see another way of dealing with desire. You can let it come to an end. The first time you do that, it's a, it's, it's a painful new track in the mind. But it's what every addict has to learn. So we too, as, as compulsive and obsessive and as addicted as we are to our thinking, and our sense of ourself, we have to allow a new way of responding to occur in the mind. Not following the familiar pattern of reactivity. And so it takes courage. It takes strength of mind. It takes strength of awareness to just be there, trusting that this is the path. The path is to feel these mental states as intimately as you can, with full awareness, without resistance, and you will discover something about them that you can't get otherwise. And that is the personal knowledge that they're impermanent. Now, you know everything's impermanent, right? We all know that. But we only know it up here in this little piece of our brain. We haven't learned it in our body and so we need to, to, to hold our body and hold our heart right there in the flame of the fire of the unpleasantness of all these torments of the mind. That's how we learn of their true nature. And that's how we learn that their true nature is that they're impermanent. They're, they're painful. They're, they're, they definitely have the characteristic of dukkha. They're very unsatisfactory. They're all unsatisfactory. They're all impermanent. They all also are not you. And you can see that. You can see they arise due to cause and conditions, you're with them for a while and they leave. They're not yours. They're not you. They're not who you are. They're not inherent to you. They're not a part of you. They're just a visitor to the mind. These three characteristics, they're unsatisfactory, they're painful and unsatisfactory. They're impermanent, they don't last. They're not yours. They come and They arise due to their own conditions and they leave. They're not you, they're not yours, they're not inherent. Those three characteristics are the knowledge of insight, vipassana. These three characteristics are are the essence of vipassana practice. And this is the way to to realize it. This is the way to grow this new understanding about these visitors to the mind. Because As long as you're aware of the defilements, you're doing well. In order to understand your defilements, you have to watch them again and again. What can you gain from just having or expecting good experiences? If you understand the nature of the defilements, they will dissolve. And once you're able to handle them, good experiences will naturally follow. So this is our work. This is the path. This is the path of uh, guarding our speech and behavior, not acting out transgressively, harming others, by being mindfully aware of our intention before speaking and acting, to be mindfully aware of the obsessing uh, activities of the mind when the mind is influenced by any of these um, visitors, and to be mindfully aware of their characteristics, to really steady the mind. This is why we, we talk about stability of mind. The continuity of uh, mindful awareness stabilizes the mind so that it's not shaken when, when confronted with pain, when we're confronted with this heart pain, where we can just endure. We can be not endure with <coughs> grit your teeth, but endure with wise intelligence, wise intention, wise attention because we understand the value of bearing with the way things are in order to learn these three characteristics these three characteristics are the doorway to liberation always remember that it is not you who removes these defilements wisdom does that job when you're continuously aware Wisdom unfolds naturally. So let's sit for a moment and let the words quiet down. Mind by nature is radiant and pure. It's shining. It is because of visiting forces known as the kalesis or the defilements that we suffer. But it is not you who removes these defilements. Wisdom does that job. hour for further awareness practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.